I wasn't ready. <laughs> great. Thanks. <laughs> I just got to clear my throat. Yeah. Well, I'm recording now, so. I am too. So. <laughs> All right. Great. Great. Welcome to the final episode of Aspiring Stops. <laughs> we're, we're done. This is it. This is it. Who, John, whose bright idea was it to record after Daylight Savings Time? Um, technically, it was yours because you weren't in town. So you couldn't no, do it I was, on I was Saturday. Visiting my delightful hometown, I guess our delightful hometown of Boston, <laughs> Massachusetts. Um, I arrived in the midst of a nor- nor'easter mm-hmm. and uh, left in the midst of another nor'easter. So they're having a great time over there. Aren't and then I arrived back in Los Angeles where it was raining. So I don't, I don't know what kind of tricks God is playing here. <laughs> but obviously he's trying to screw with me. <laughs> you personally. About, yes, you exactly. Personally. It's all about one person here. Did you notice that when you moved to California, that's when the drought started? Well, and then the drought's over. So, if anything, I, I helped uh, <laughs> I helped relieve California of its water shortage. Yeah, but so, now we're uh, back in a drought again. So says who? Says says the water table. Like we've gotten barely any rain. As oh, we they're just get. panicking. Yeah, January we got rain today. To... We're fine. It's over. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about this. You're just like you're like Scott Pruitt of the EPA. You just want to. Dig your head know, in the sand because it's, it's literally going to be oh. sand as soon as the water's all gone. <laughs> it's why, already sand. That's why we're quitting. That's why we're quitting. We've this already is... interfered with God's domain down here. <laughs> John, let's let's keep it up. Let's keep up the enthusiasm. Mm, I don't think that's possible. What's with the negativity, John? What do we say before every podcast before we start recording? Always say yes and have fun out there. Okay. <laughs> and now you're now you're approaching it just saying no, no fun. Arms no. folded, no, not having it. No, because the movie we watched this week pissed me off. Why? Because it was horrible. horrible. I mean, not horrible, not horrible in terms of it was a, it was a great watch, but we yeah. ended up watching this week. Our second documentary for this podcast, we watched Hoop Dreams. John, technically this is our third podcast. There's the Thin Blue Line. Waltz of Bashir qualifies as a, as a podcast. No, it doesn't. Sure it does. That's a lie. They were audio recorded interviews, and they put a little paint on them. And then, nah. Hey. Nah. Some people call it some people call it animation. I call it paint. So. <laughs> okay, so technically this is our third documentary we've done for the podcast. And, ooh, it is a doozy. <laughs> we should probably say from the outset, uh, for those who don't know what Hoop Streams is, this film follows um, two prospective NBA players uh, mm. all the way through high school. The two students in question are William Gates and Arthur Agee. Yeah, and it was originally intended just to be a little 30-minute profile for public television. Exactly, but unfortunately but... they ended up recording four years of their lives, so that obviously <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> Why unfortunate? I think this is very fortunate. I because the other thing we need to explain is this is not just a sports uh, documentary mm-hmm. about two prospective basketball. It's really more of a document of racial and social injustice in America. Of course. Because <laughs> it's all about, it becomes a larger story about how these students become recruited to higher levels of basketball. First through kind of the high school level and then on to college and then eventually on to the NBA. Uh, Isaiah Thomas is kind of a big looming figure in this documentary, and he's kind of the uh, er-example. 
everyone's trying yeah. to be the next Isaiah Thomas. Yes. Strangely, he, though, because it takes place in uh, Chicago in the early 90s. And <laughs> well, you'd think gonna... that there would be another figure in basketball who was currently playing in Chicago at the time. Well, there is. There is. I mean, in the opening <laughs> shots, Michael, uh, they show footage of the NBA All-Star game that took place in Chicago in, I believe, 1988. Mm-hmm. And yes, they, they do highlight Michael Jordan, who obviously he was a Chicago legend at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until the mid-90s, John, that he won six championships in eight years. So oh, okay. Yeah, so he didn't, he didn't reach that legendary status with the logo, and, and as you know him. Mm-hmm. so He, was, he wasn't at LeBron so, levels yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's an interesting kind of a counterpoint to this, too, because if, if you recall, LeBron James was on, like, the cover of Sports Illustrated in, I think, his, like, sophomore year of high school or whatever. Like, he was always the, the chosen one, and, and this, I guess this is just a, an early example of us, like, putting a spotlight on young athletes, um, but I'm very thankful that it did illuminate. It becomes more of a rich tapestry of this entire um, housing project in Chicago, and especially their families as well. Yeah, but... It it just it boils my blood watching this documentary because, <laughs> again, the larger theme is kind of the commoditization of black bodies. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, I mean I'm not sure how audiences what audiences inferred when this was released in 1994, but you and I with um with the help of the internet and more sophisticated brains, <laughs> um, we're woke AF as the yeah. millennials say these days. So yes. we have the, we have the galaxy brain meme. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we can, yeah, we can we can see a lot of like a, a cycle of poverty or an exploitation of black youth who obviously don't have a whole lot of other options in life mm-hmm. um, at the hands of a white establishment. Exactly, and uh, that's basically uh, what this movie is trying to capture. And what it does is, and again, the brilliance of this movie is the fact that it just captures it just from a clear point of view perspective. There's no statistics, there's no talking heads, there's no graphics. It's just literally mm-hmm. like these are their lives. Yeah, and it just lays out the story. Um, mm-hmm. I think in the understatement of the movie is, uh, I believe it's uh, Arthur Agee's mom. Mm-hmm. The midway through the story just says things happen, and this whole story—it's amazing that they were able to capture like an entire, <laughs> an entire drama. Like it, this whole movie is nothing but things happening. It's almost like basketball's beside the point until the very <laughs> exactly. End, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and that's the great thing about this movie is just the pure banality of it. And well, I, I wouldn't say banality, but well, it's, no, I would, it's very no, that's, straightforward I, in capturing the drama that's going on here. No, I think that's the that I think that's what makes it so brilliant is the fact that it doesn't over exaggerate it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't again like the music is very kind of toned down. All the characters speak very matter of factly. I call them characters. All the real people speak very <laughs> matter of factly, and part of it is because you know they recorded a lot, but there's a lot kind of missing, and they kind of have to catch you up. But, you know, the only narration kind of comes in is, uh, uh, shoot, what's his name? Stephen James? Steve James, yeah. Steve James Steve... is the director, and he uh, supplies some narration. Yeah, so the only time Steve James narrates is just to fill us in on what's happened since the cameras went off. And yeah. again, the banality of it all is like, oh, you know, uh, a, uh, Arthur's father is now in prison. He was, you know, caught selling crack. You know, he's currently going through a rehab. They're currently separated. Like three times in the movie, it makes the point that it's like Arthur's parents are separated at this point. And, you know, it's not like we ever get to see the falling out between them that happens in this kind of cycle, but we just know it's a constant in this family's life. Yeah, it it definitely demonstrates a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it it feels as though this is their only way out to get a college education and hopefully a better job. Cause we, as you said, their Arthur's parents get separated, um, due to the, due to his father's drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a one point where he does go to rehab, gets clean and, you know, uh, becomes 
a volunteer at the church, leads worship and things like that, but then there's another separation they have, and you can see kind of these cycles. The other character I really identify with, again, character, there we go again, John. <laughs> it's Because it, this is amazing drama. I don't want to say that they were, like, fortunate, but you could see why they kept the cameras rolling for four years, because the story kept unfolding in such an unbelievably compelling way. Well, yes, but also, like, again, we, we miss out on all those kind of big key scenes. Because, I mean, again, like, I mean, again, we only get filled in, you know, months apart well, and again nothing's say? over dramatized like again when they interview these people they just talk about it as if like well that's life you know this is just our reality what are you gonna yeah. do and again well, that's d- what d- makes what it so say? are you gonna say that's a demerit that they don't get those no scenes, that that's what care. i'm saying but that's what makes it great okay is the fact that it's just like again these are this is reality and again they're just so like it's so broken and again it's like they don't need to overemphasize it they don't need to oversell it no and I th- again, I think that's to the movie's credit. Mm-hmm. One thing we should also say right off the bat, it's possible that this movie just could have been completely forgotten mm-hmm. were it not for Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel profiling it on their show at the movies, um, mm-hmm. it literally taking place in their backyard, mm-hmm. and how, how much they identified with it and really wanted to champion it. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie wasn't nominated, uh, surprisingly enough, wasn't nominated for the best documentary feature at the Oscars that year. Mm-hmm. And it led to this whole expose on when exactly how exactly a movie gets nominated into that category. <laughs> so, I, again, like it, it, you could see the influence that it has on the documentary form. But yeah, it, it, what, re, what really shines is how much it illuminates in a, in a very straightforward way, as you say, uh, these kind of cycles of poverty and the, and the difficulty that this, that this culture has in a, in a white establishment. Mm-hmm. She was a good kid from what we saw, but he was very immature. He might have been a little more disruptive, speaking out, getting into childish things. He wasn't used to the discipline and the control. He reverted back to maybe his environment, where he came from. I've just never been around a lot of white people, and uh, it was different because at a black school, you know, I could associate with the people that was, you know, you know, they talked the way I talked. It's a little hard, but I, I can adjust to it. You can see there was talent there. We kept saying up in the stands, get the ball to Arthur because he's going to do it for you. And sure enough, they gave him the ball with seconds on the clock. I noticed a change immediately after we started going out there. To see your child mature, you say, uh, well, maybe this is good for him. Yeah, because, again, like, these kids kind of get shipped off into private high school. They both end up at this private high school named St. Joseph, kind of recruited to go there, you know, under the auspices of, like, we're giving you a good education. No, they want them (laughs) to play basketball. Yeah, Yeah, that's the first thing I infer. I'm glad you said, like, black bodies, because... Again, this is this is what my brain is is kind of calculating and putting together in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see uh, Arthur playing on on the playground, mm-hmm. and and we're we're following a scout. A scout just kind of and he's an independent scout, and he just goes by and then connects these kids with these like high uh, well-to-do high schools mm-hmm. that are basically you know oh promise a good education. What they're really there is to play basketball. Exactly, and he yeah. even later in the movie kind of confesses it's like he has some reservations about what he's doing with his life. Yeah. Is like, is he really in it for helping out the kids? Because there is no doubt that some people, like again, Isaiah Thomas, it worked out quite well for him. Yeah, but but for how many how many dozens, if not hundreds, of kids, you know, 
got run through run through the system as we'll see later with William Gates. <laughs> exactly. Or like again, like uh, Arthur Agee is like he ends up at this uh, prestigious uh, Catholic private high school, but mm-hmm. he can't pay. His family can't afford it, and it ends up kind of ruining his academic career because again he can't finish on time because again they won't release his transcripts until they finish paying it off. Mm-hmm. You know, the family ends up paying this large amount of money for a school he doesn't even end up going to. And it just kind of like he ends up worse off as if he just never went there in the first place. Yeah, and well, in addition to that, it's because he doesn't develop that. As you said, both players end up going to St. Joe's, mm-hmm. but William Gates is so far along in his talent, he joins the varsity team as a freshman, whereas Arthur Agee isn't developing mm-hmm. as mo- as well as they thought. So, okay, he's not doing well academically or in basketball. We're just going to jettison this kid. Exactly, cut him loose. Yeah, I mean, in addition to. What the movie lays out, all the other challenges they face. I think they say it's a three-hour commute. They have to take public transportation to this high school because it's mm-hmm. way north of the city. Again, they they enter at a fourth-grade reading level because the public education they had doesn't supply them with the skills they need to to do well at a at this well-to-do Catholic school. Mm-hmm. But again, what what choice are they going to have when it seems like basketball is their only outlet and their only point? And there's another thing too, like that two alumni of the St. Joe schools actually become benefactors for William Gates. They, oh, uh, yeah, exactly. They become boosters for him. Yeah. They, which they Arthur, Arthur, Arthur obviously does not get. So. Yeah, because and, he doesn't have the basketball skill. <laughs> exactly. And that's, well, and that's kind of the strange, again, development of the story, or story, <laughs> real life, is the mm-hmm. fact that because we're following two students, and then they end up on very parallel tracks. But they kind of end up twisting and turning in very well, I different think they, ways. Yeah, they start on parallel tracks, and this is this is a testament to the the greatness of the movie in telling the story because it mm-hmm. is a story. I mean, that's what that's what documentaries are—they're stories. <laughs> but it, what I, I guess coincidentally, we see these two guys kind of on different ascensions and descensions in their career, mm-hmm. or at least that's I, what I you in their think. High school career, yeah, that's what you think because so William ends up you know, continuing all four years through St. Joseph's, and whereas Arthur ends up back in the public school system. But William gets injured. And even though he does kind of recover and he gets all the best treatment he could possibly get, he literally goes to the surgeons who treat the bulls. Yeah. And gets kind of like the best treatment. And <laughs> the, Chicago, a... the Chicago Bulls, the NBA team. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. You're right. Our audience wouldn't know who the Bulls are. <laughs> I just want to make sure, John. I, that's the other thing I wanted to set up, too. Like, I actually, I, I'm a huge sports fan. You not as much. And so mm-hmm. it, I'm, I'm actually glad that you appreciated it just as a brilliant documentary. Like, you don't, you don't have to be a basketball fan to love this movie. No, of course not. Yeah. And, but, and it does kind of capture, like, the brilliance, the elegance and the athleticism and all the kind of technical knowledge you need to understand basketball that you really wouldn't understand as just like a passerby just watching. You think like, oh, they're just shooting balls into a hoop, and it's like, no, they got to, you know, all the training and all the coaching, and ugh, that coach, I hate that coach. Oh, I just hate him so <laughs> Yeah, let's, uh, I wanted to create a little unit on this in our discussion. <laughs> okay. On the coaches. <laughs> so, uh, we get to meet uh, the coach of St. Joe's. Yep. Who, uh, who's a, a let's say a figure cut uh, from the same cloth as Bobby Knight mm-hmm. and Rick Pitino. All these coaches make cameos later at an all-American camp. Yeah. You and... get dick by towel, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but he's cut from the same cloth as those coaches in that he sees, he sees William Gates' raw talent, so he rides him hard. Exactly. Yeah. He, he, he definitely gives him extra attention. I have an extra negative attention. Like, he, he really tries to push him. 
mm-hmm. again because as you said Isaiah Thomas is the looming figure he's the he's the he's the model that they want to follow with this mm-hmm. you know being an NBA champion and MVP yeah um so he's push so he he pushes William to his limits and they talk about the imagery and or sorry uh pushes him potentially to injury mm-hmm. and but at the very end you can kind of see William kind of turned off from the sport of basketball and I think this coach is the reason <laughs> yeah exactly because he rode him so hard you know and he sucked all the fun out of the game <laughs> yeah and like, I, and honestly from the John you said it it kind of explains basic basketball points i think it explains points in the game but what they show the coaches they're like barely coaching <laughs> they just say like work harder play better as a team like they're not running plays or no you're absolutely right like a lot of their coaching is just like try harder gosh you're not trying hard enough <laughs> yeah that's disgraceful do better <laughs> exactly <laughs> when again it's 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 interesting again paralleling that with the public education that arthur gets and we see yeah, a lot he goes of his to, coach uh, too. marshall yeah he goes to marshall high school yeah, and again, like the the tracks that they both end up taking, St. Joe's ends up going like twenty one and three. But if from the perspective of the coach, it's like they're failing. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, you know, we're not going to get into state championships. We're losers. And Marshall High School, they end up going to the state championships like after like a six and seventeen record the year before. So like, yeah. they go in as underdogs. They go in unranked, and they end up almost getting it. I th- they don't get win, reaching the championship yeah. game. Yeah, they finished third. Mm-hmm. Whereas, in spite of a, like a twenty-one win, three-loss season for mm-hmm. St. Joe's, the coach still sees that as a disappointment, and I think they get kicked. They, they get knocked out of the first round of the tournament. <laughs> exactly. And again, yeah. maybe it's because of that pressure thing, where it's mm-hmm. like Marshall's going in as underdogs. You know, the stakes aren't as high for them, and they can just go out and kind of play with a mental clarity that can't be afforded to St. Joseph because of all that pressure. Like yeah. we're the t- we're the school of Isaiah Thomas for crying out loud. <laughs> we have something to prove. Yeah, and what I uh, glad we're bringing this game up because what's extraordinary is, and I didn't think we'd actually see this in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's that Arthur Agee actually attends that game, and we later see the two of them together. I didn't think we'd actually see Arthur Agee and William Gates even in the same shot. I think they would. I thought they would be completely separated, but it shows that they have kind of like this blossoming friendship with each other. Exactly. Because they're, they're literally undergoing the same experience, getting recruited, you know, being highly touted high school basketball prospects. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is so many people from St. Joseph still remember Arthur when he comes back. Like, they haven't seen oh, yeah. him in, like, three years, but the teachers still remember him, the students still remember him. Mostly because he's probably, like, one of seven black kids who ended up going <laughs> to that school. But <laughs> kind of hard I, to forget. Yeah. I th- John, you just you just spoiled something because... <laughs> Indeed, and yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about the the implicit and explicit um, racism <laughs> that goes on in this movie. Uh, Arthur Agee goes on to a junior college in Arkansas, mm-hmm. and I believe the narration says that he is uh, one of seven black students in the entire uh, in this entire junior college. All of them on the basketball team. <laughs> no, no, up, 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 up. There were seven black students. Six of them were on the basketball oh, team. Excuse, I, excuse, forgive me. <laughs> there was one black student there who wasn't on the basketball team. Okay, well, good on him, I guess. He was, yeah, he was on the foot. He was on the football team. <laughs> yeah, and again, like I, the most sickening part for the movie for me was the recruitment that Marquette was doing towards William. It was so over the top and so kind of like. <laughs> transparent what they were doing they were making up like fake newspaper headlines and showing them off and like you know welcoming yeah, will, them on, like, will gates is awesome they're they'd really they're flattering the ego of this like pretty impressionable high school kid <laughs> exactly and you know they and again they like 
make the point. It's like, really, your academics come first. Like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> no, they don't give a shit about your academics. No. I'm off to Central and the Congress Expressway, a park over there where some pretty talented young men. Earl Smith works downtown as an insurance executive. On weekends, he's an unofficial talent scout for several area high schools. This is what you call beating the bushes. This is the job of most of your freshman coaches and guys like me who, who played a little bit of the game, who loves trying to help young people on the road to success. Today, Earl spots Arthur Agee, who just graduated from grammar school. He got the quickest first step. First step. I will bet you a steak dinner in four years you'll be hearing from him. I don't even know anything about Also, the, the, one of the key points of drama in the movie is Will, Will Gates needs a uh, te- uh, needs to qualify with his ACT score. Mm-hmm. He takes the test five times, and they take his average, but they have to round up to even qualify for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, you see, like all the kind of like loopholes they're they're granting him just so he can play basketball there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm <laughs> I I wasn't quite as sickened by that as I was um, by one scene with an assistant coach at St. Joe's who's talking to young William. Mm-hmm. And he asks, I wrote this down, he uh, he asks um, particularly about Marquette, have you talked about to any of the black leaders on campus? <laughs> and there are, like, the, the, the way he's talking, I, I believe he refers to them as blacks, you know? <laughs> what mm-hmm. about the other blacks at school? <laughs> yeah. And there, there are these great demonstrations of the disconnect between the white world of St. Joe's mm-hmm. and the African-American world, the Calabrini Green Projects, which is where William and, and Arthur come from. Exactly. And, and also, I think at the very beginning, it, I've, I also wrote this down, too. Uh, they interview Arthur on one of his first days at like St. Joe's, and they ask about, like, oh, how his behaviors changed, sort of. Like, he mm. seems kind of lady, and, uh, like, Arthur admits, like, I've never been around white people this much. Exactly. So he's and they, very, they yeah. act different, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he has to, you know, obviously, he's not uncomfortable, because, again, he's in a yeah. completely new environment. No, the line that stuck out most for me was, it's the last meeting between William and the coach, the basketball coach at St. Joseph's. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I've, I will say, if if there's one villain in this movie, <laughs> exactly, it's the basketball coach. Yeah. You know, he's he's they're being cordial. You know, very banal conversation is like, stay in touch, okay? You know, have fun. You know, next mm-hmm. year and blah blah blah. And then you know, the coach is alone in the room and he goes like, yeah, just another. Uh, we see one go and then another one walks right in. Again, these people are just commodities to them. Yeah, <laughs> you're just there to play basketball. You're a product. Mm-hmm. You're not a real human being. <laughs> no, and I. I, I don't think I've got to this point, but yeah, it's going back to that recruitment that we we're following that recruiter watching Arthur play on the on the playground, and I noticed they're all shirtless, and somehow just in my brain, like it just connected these two images between these kids on the playground and the photos of like slaves at an auction. Oh yeah, <laughs> like that's Ugh. yeah, that somehow <laughs> just my brain made that connection. It's just 
I mean, I, it, it it pretty much is the same thing. <laughs> it, it, exactly. I mean, I again, I don't know how much our listeners know, but amateur athletics in college are pretty much a cartel <laughs> exactly. to exploit uh, young people, mostly black people. Unpaid and, labor. Yes. <laughs> For their own profits, mm-hmm. whether they be at the March Madness tournament. Hey, March Madness is out. Ooh, ooh. Or, <laughs> That's why we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, college football. You know, those. Hey, isn't it a coincidence that there's no minor league structure in those two, where athletes can actually get paid? And mm-hmm. <laughs> those in those two sports, the athletes are predominantly black. Mm. It's because of baseball and hockey and all the other sports. Like uh, you know, there's there's a structure for which the athletes can actually demand. E- pay the pay for what they deserve exactly if 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 there's one point we want you to leave with this podcast it's that the ncaa <laughs> makes billions of dollars off unpaid black labor guys okay just mm. remember that okay <laughs> when you're enjoying your march madness and filling out your bracket remember billions of dollars off unpaid black labor thank you thank you ncaa modern day slavery <laughs> yes <laughs> But again, that's what makes this movie great, is the fact that it just shows you, it just presents you with these facts, and again, you pick it out. It's not yeah. like the movie, like, again, like, post pictures of slaves as we watch these shirtless no, kids yeah. play basketball. I, yeah, I, I should say this is what we're inferring, because we're yeah. obviously we're, we're geniuses and can make these Well, um, yeah, because our brains are huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe, uh, that's maybe something I want, like, I want another perspective to say, like, oh, it's just a good basketball movie. Well, it works on that level, yes, but it also yeah. But aren't really you missing show... out on the the greater point that this movie's trying to make? Absolutely. I, mean, I think I I think that was the intention of the filmmakers. You do okay. Yeah. I'm not. I I'm sure that's. I thought that was the story they kind of found in it and didn't really need to, like, didn't even need to, as you say, like, over-explain it. Uh, yeah. Or even exploit true. it, maybe. Yeah. How many documentary stories do you find? Like, we found the story halfway through filming it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's how most, like, documentaries came out. Again, this was just going to be 30 minutes to fill airtime on public television. And mm. instead, it became, as as you said, like a, a rich a rich portrait of injustice in America. <laughs> exactly. Uh, spoiler alert, guys. It's not easy being black in America. <laughs> I know. Shocking. <laughs> when I went out there, I was very intimidated because I just knew that everybody out there was just smarter than me. As the year went on, you know, I was making an A and B on the road. I just felt like, hey, I was just good as them. Now what you have to identify... Both William and Arthur have partial scholarships from St. Joe's. The rest of William's tuition is paid for by Cycle, a Cabrini-Green organization. But Cycle can't cover this year's tuition increase. I was called on by Brother Edwin Dupre. He was trying to raise money to help kids that couldn't otherwise go to those kind of schools. It really touched a soft spot in my heart, and so I decided that my husband and I would participate on a personal basis. William was selected as the kid that was able to go to school based on our contribution. Nice to see you. Hey, you played a great game. Why don't you meet our friends, Louis Duncan and Tom Paris? Nice game. With continuing support from Patricia Weir, William is assured that his entire education at St. Joe's will be free. Um, actually, th- that's what's brilliant from the movie on a content standpoint. I want to talk about the technique, though, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So while this movie wasn't nominated as Best Documentary, it was, surprisingly enough, nominated for Best Editing. Yeah, that's which I kind of believe because, again, they took like four years' worth of footage and yeah, brought it over... down to three hours, which is actually pretty reasonable. <laughs> yeah. So there, there was that challenge, too. But what I, what I loved was a lot of little editing tricks like match cuts. Mm-hmm. 
like um, in particular, uh, two moments in particular that I wrote down. Um, there's one, Arthur has gotten a summer job at Pizza Hut mm-hmm. with his friend Shannon. And then they, they do their shift at Pizza Hut and then they go play in the playground. And then, you know, after the ball goes through the hoop, it jump, uh, cut to <laughs> William at the All-American camp in this giant arena in, I believe, uh, North Carolina or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> With all this press and college coaches and things like that, like, all around. So, well, no, again, it's it, a brilliant just, juxtaposition there. There's another one that comes later. St. Joe's boards their bus to their playoff game. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the coach being the hard ass that he is, like, you know, everyone quiet, think about the game. I want you focused on the game. They all take their seat, cut to now Marshall High School on the bus <laughs> on the way to their game. They're all, you know, rowdy, having fun. Um, some of them are playing cards in the back. <laughs> yeah, they're, all, they're playing cards on the back of the bus. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, the movie obviously gets a lot of poignant moments like that, contrasting mm-hmm. the lives of students at St. Joseph's versus the lives of students at St. Marshall's, because, again, they're completely different worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get a lot of contrast between the life that William's leaving, leading versus the life that uh, Arthur's leading. Yeah, and well, we see that you know we see that ascension of William's career until his injury. Exactly, and then we see later Arthur and his team Marshall High and their ascension through the playoffs. And, you know, it's a great again. It's it's amazing that the story unfolded that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yeah. it was very fortuitous for the filmmaker. <laughs> Obviously, not fortuitous for our two <laughs> subjects, unfortunately. No, I mean, but there's been there's been a lot of you know kind of post-script documentaries made, or at least two, mm-hmm. like, kind of continuing on, seeing how their lives kind of turned out. Uh, there's a After Hoop Dreams, I believe, is like a subsequent <laughs> short mm-hmm. documentary on the DVD for this, the Criterion Collection DVD. And then uh, I think Arthur Agee ended up making his own version called like Hoop Reality or something like that. Yeah. Wasn't that made with Steve, director Steve James again? I think he did, yeah, help out, but I think it was mostly like Arthur's passion project. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. he went on to go be a motivational speaker and had a few other projects and things like that mm-hmm. which i ha- i have a hard time imagining because he's kind of he's a teenager he's he's not exactly you know gregarious no, that's certainly. one thing yeah. yeah that's well that's one thing they do really do spotlight is um their kind of struggles in school mm-hmm. well maybe maybe not on will's front because will's freshman year they point out that like okay he's he entered at a fourth grade reading level but now he's you know on pace with every other student well again we he gets him, every advantage possible that's, like again, yeah, he gets more boosters, he gets Arthur. tutors. Like, yeah. and again, that's that's the important contrast it sets up is that Will gets all this. He, he gets this huge support structure underneath him where Arthur does not. Well, that's until and and I think maybe this is what we can infer, but actually, uh, Will has a baby with his girlfriend. Oh yeah, we also forgot to mention that. Yeah, yeah, and I think well, I think that's where his his commitment to basketball in school starts slipping. Mm-hmm. That's true. I think, yeah, because yeah, we see more scenes where, like, how committed he is as a, fa- as a father and um, eventual husband. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we don't. Um, they mention like his struggles with the ACT test, um, his mm-hmm. struggles on the court with his injury, and you know his coach <laughs> admonishing him for you know well, that's lack of commitment. And stuff another like that. yeah, and another another kind of very poignant moment. Again, we don't see the coach actually say this, but Will tells the camera people like, you know, what was the advice your coach gave you? He told he told me to blow him off. What kind of advice yeah. is that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and whereas, and we do shine a light on Arthur in class and how kind of disengaged he is. Mm-hmm. And again, well, and speaking, I think it also speaks to just the the terrible structures that are you know exploiting and and really denigrating black people in America. Mm-hmm. Because at one point the AGs lose power in their house. That is true. And yeah. we see another cycle of like uh, folks getting laid off from their jobs. 
Oh yeah, that's a constant struggle. Is that you know, again, when we catch up with people, you know, months yeah. later, it's like they've lost this job. Now they're working minimum wage at this job. Yeah, and so like it's easy. It's easy to let's say like admonish Arthur like, oh, why don't you just you know put your put your nose to the grindstone and work harder, finish yeah. your homework or something like that. He's literally going home to no power. How the hell is he <laughs> supposed to do his homework? <laughs> His mom is working like three jobs or whatever. Like, how the hell is she supposed to, you know, like literally support her kids and like boost them to do their homework? Exactly. And I, I know it's it. I thought it like in, like in sharp contrast with the way we were raised or something like that with engaged parents. That's because they got to sit in an office all day and you know <laughs> made enough money where they weren't stressed and could come home and you know engage in their children's lives. <laughs> no, and there's another. Uh, eventually, what happens with. Arthur is he doesn't finish school on time he has to take an yeah. extra year and what happens is he turns 18 and then he doesn't call like his mom doesn't qualify for welfare anymore he's still living under his mom's uh, household but she yeah. doesn't get any extra money for him being there anymore so literally her like she mentions that her welfare goes from like 350 to 250 but he's still living under there yeah cause so she now she has to get by yeah. with even less <laughs> yeah well that, that's that's one thing I also love about this film, and in spite of its three-hour runtime, you think, "Oh, that's way too long." No, it it fills that three hours mm-hmm. with these really essential stories. And one of the, my favorite was Mrs. Ag, their mom, mm-hmm. because we do get time to see her um, in her commitment to becoming a nurse. Mm-hmm. We see her graduate, and that's my favorite moment. That's really my favorite moment. In the it's movie. one of the um, few triumphs in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the, come on, John. There are some triumphs. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, Arthur doing well in the state tournament, stuff like that, but. Mm-hmm. Of at one point, um, she's going to junior college to get her nursing degree. She's got to find. She's got to pass one final exam, and then another woman comes in. I'm not her, sure who she is, but she just comes in saying, "Hey, you got an 89. You passed the test." And she's jumping for joy. And it's just. And later we see her graduation, and that's that's really my favorite moment because, yeah. again, it's not just about these two and the system of basketball. Instead, it's we're getting this whole portrait of, you know, a life inside this housing project and. And how much we can apply it to the black experience in America. <laughs> exactly. As a, as a fun moment. Mm-hmm. And again, I kind of, I wish that we could kind of devote more time to the family. Like, again, like, uh, we get a lot of William's brother as well, who also was kind of yeah, on a Curtis. Sim- yeah, similar career track, but unfortunately uh, didn't pan out so well for him. And we kind of see, we get a few shots of him trying to play basketball like he used to and he just can't and you know yeah. he's he's been struggling with work he's like been laid yeah, off he's like another four one, times yeah. mm-hmm. like ugh, that's just it, it hurt it hurt yeah. <laughs> this movie hurts <laughs> well i think i think it 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 strikes it maybe in my mind it strikes a better balance between the seeing the pain in their situation and also those those triumphs like yeah like william being a committed father mm-hmm. um the uh, Bo Ag Arthur's father coming back to the family after struggling with drugs for a little while and going to prison. Yeah, um, Marshall High doing well in the tournament. So I think there are, there are there are peaks to every valley. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, very deep valleys and what is and what is the black experience in America? But again, just an extraordinarily well done documentary. When I was young, when I was little, that's all I used to think about the NBA. If I if I set my mind, I, I can I can go I can stay, I can go getting good college I can go. But if I don't, you know I ain't gonna be no drug dealer. You know, cry about it, come back and you know stick up gas stations or nothing like that. You know, probably going to comedian or architecture or something like that.
you don't think that you'll have the kind of, the kind of tough times like that your dad's been through? No. I can't say I can't I can't say that I will. I can't say that I don't. I don't know. I do think we should mention how this didn't end up getting nominated for best documentary because this is uh, an, sure I know yeah it's so, it's so trivial we, though <laughs> we like we have to mention this because yeah. again this is the most fascinating part of the story mm-hmm. is there was a huge expose on how films are actually nominated for documentary and the way they did it was they would take members of the academy who have no specialty in documentary filmmaking yeah it could just be anybody anybody and yeah. what they would do is they put them in a screening room and give them a flashlight. <laughs> and the which, minute they I, would which get... Which makes sense. John, it makes sense to me because I watch every movie with a flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> and what they would do is they would shine a light at the, at the screen, at the projection, when they yeah, would get bored. Making it better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, that's obviously now the movie's going to get better as soon as there's a spotlight on it. Yeah. <laughs> now that you can't see it. As soon as there are a, d- a dozen blots on the screen. Yeah, this is, this is the ideal way to watch a movie. <laughs> of course. And again, like, there's obviously no chance of peer pressure, like, ruining your experience or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. And so after 15 minutes, you know, the whole screen was lit up with flashlights and they turned it off. And again, like, just the fact that, you know, Siskel and Ebert had to champion this movie so hard mm-hmm. and the fact that you know we had to get this expose on this is how they actually judge documentary <laughs> filmmaking like it's a travesty like you yeah. want to talk about Oscar so white like talk about this please <laughs> yeah Oscar so incompetent <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I I will also speak to this I can I can understand because like production value wise it doesn't look like an extraordinary documentary it's actually very you can tell from the opening frames is very much a product of its time it's shot on video mm-hmm. you will laugh at the late 80s early 90s fashions yeah and uh it is four by three aspect ratio yes but and even the, t- and the even the title cards are not that you know sophisticated yeah, yeah. and in the rap music <laughs> there's some opening rap music that again feels very dated but please plow through that first couple minutes because again this is an extraordinary piece of work yeah i mean but i we, again we've visited you know thin blue line prior and again that mm-hmm. feels very much a product of its time like it can't help but feel dated well i i don't know well i i chalk that up to i don't think it feels dated i mean there's something extraordinary about the filmmaking and the reenactments done by errol morris yeah i guess so. um whereas this movie has none that's the other extraordinary thing like i i, I studied film and kind of know the little ins and outs of production mm-hmm. <laughs> you know to toot my own horn there but <laughs> Ooh, I, I, was, I studied film yeah, yeah. but the way the way documentaries are shot, it it's not all done like you know on the day. Sometimes they have to stage certain things. <laughs> yeah, you have to do inserts and things like that in case you missed yeah. it. And um, here, I, like I couldn't find anything. There was only one shot that I thought was maybe a little staged, and maybe they knew what they were going to say. And that was um, Arthur walking through their uh, his home gym with the that recruiter we see at the very beginning. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean that feels like a shot out of a, like a real movie. The way mm-hmm. the camera's kind of tracking with them and. Uh, but anyway, that's the only one I could see. Otherwise, it feels so real and immediate, all of it. No, and I totally believe that. Yeah, including the um, the scenes in which uh, uh, Will Gates gets uh, knee surgery. That I had to turn my... <laughs> no, I didn't. Yes, I did not. We did not need that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I did not need to see. No, yeah. We're so, we're so weak-willed. But... <laughs> and I've seen Annihilation for crying out loud. I did. <laughs> that shit was gross. <laughs> well, we'll get to Annihilation John, later, won't we? Yeah, I guess we will. 
No. Everything. Well, anyway, Hoop Dreams is extraordinary. Please go seek it out. Yes. Highly recommended. If you have three hours on a weekend, you need to kill. I There's worse ways to treat it. I know. Forget, forget your latest binge watch. Of yeah. The the eight hundredth Netflix show to come out this week. <laughs> or it's eight hundredth garbage sci-fi movie that they dropped. I, <laughs> have you watched Mute yet? Uh, but it, of course I haven't. <laughs> but I, you love Doug Jones. I oh yeah, oh I forgot. Uh, War, Warcraft was one of the greatest cinematic achievements of the last of the last decade. You know what? He tried. Okay. <laughs> he tried his darndest. I know. Yeah. He cares. Maybe a little too much. Yeah, maybe a little too much. <laughs> But anyway, John, we're getting off topic. Yeah, we should talk about things we actually did enjoy in our signature well, uh, segment. Well, we well we did enjoy hoop dreams, John. Oh, okay, all right. You're right. It's just it, it's so easy for us to get negative, you know. Exactly. You mean recent stuff? Come the stuff that came out in the recent past that yes. maybe people should check out now. Yes. In a little segment we call Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time! We should put this on video, because the little dance I'm doing is exquisite. Ready for some like, uh, dreams. Whoa, yes. whoa, whoa. Like Oscar Isaac in that movie Ex Machina, directed by Alex Garland, who directed the movie Annihilation. John, do you want to talk about Annihilation? <laughs> no, I'm going to talk about another recent release. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Why, John, why do you want to talk about this this recent release? Give us a, give us a circumstance, please. Because <laughs> I saw it on a free screening, and I want to give it some credit. Ooh. <laughs> yes, I know. It's a Mr. Hollywood Big Shot. Gets I'm a, the, I'm a gets Hollywood special insider. preview screenings. Yeah, see, I'm an influencer. Okay? <laughs> if you follow me on Instagram, you understand my influence, my reach. Mm-hmm. So yeah. obviously they reached out to me, gave me the five-star treatment. So I uh-huh. caught an early screening of the hottest comedy of the year, Gringo. <laughs> John, if there's anything that's going to revolutionize uh, the world, it's a it's a weed pill. <laughs> yes, that's not even the most like. Uh, look, Gringo is ludicrous fine. Thing, ludicrous thing about the movie. <laughs> the most ludicrous thing about it is how ludicrously average it is. It is. <laughs> wow. Shots fired. Blap blap. <laughs> no, but the 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 um. There, there is a nugget of an interesting idea within the movie. Is the fact that the title is Gringo, and the title. Gringo of the movie is David Aiello playing Harold, a Nigerian immigrant. Yeah. So that's Gringo. Gringo refers to rich white Americans. Exactly. And that's Generally kind of white, yeah. And that's the interesting nugget of the idea of the movie is the fact that uh Harold is a immigrant from Nigeria. He's an honest, good man who, you know, earnestly believed in the American dream and clearly it didn't work out for him because his company is about to fire him and his wife is cheating on him. And Brilliant. and again, he ta- he has a nice little like interesting moment where he talks about his backstory and talks about his father, who again instilled in him this idea of being a like, nice, honest, good living person. And then his next door neighbor was someone scamming people over email, and he had five Ferraris, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so the plot of the movie is he's sent on a business trip to Mexico to pick up this weed pill or this weed related product. He knows he's about to lose his job. He learns that his wife is cheating on him. He thinks, you know, fuck it, I'll come up with this sub Coen Brothers-esque caper. I'm going <laughs> to pretend to be kidnapped, and then they'll pay the ransom directly to me, and I'll walk away with $5 million. Wait, he doesn't actually get kidnapped? <laughs> no, well, here's the thing. I, this... I, I've, I've, I'm inferring this from the trailer that I saw once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe shut off about halfway through. <laughs> he, 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 doesn't, he actually concocts the scheme to pretend to be kidnapped. However, the company that he works for is deep within the cartels. They're the ones actually supplying the weed for mm-hmm. this pill. And through some misunderstandings, they think that Harold is actually a higher up on the boss, so they intend to kidnap him 
to get the money that they are owed. So while Harold is pretending to be kidnapped, he actually does get kidnapped. Okay. So this is classic, you know, American quote-unquote dark comedy setup, which, again, dark comedy just basically means someone gets shot every five minutes, so you know the stakes are high, but, you know, it's not really that dark. Um, It's really just a chance for David Aiello to practice his comedic chops, and he is actually (laughs) quite good in the movie, because, again, he's he's just a bundle of nerves, and, you know, it's fun watching this, you know, very uh, seasoned Shakespearean actor, you know, mug it up and, you know, have some fun and, you know, be comedic. And, again, he gets to actually play Nigerian, which is also kind of fun. It's kind of refreshing. Again, the whole cast is way overqualified to be in this movie. <laughs> you got Charlize Theron, you got Joel Edgerton, and you won't mm-hmm. realize why he's in it until, you know, you see the directed by credits. It's, uh, it's his brother Nash. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Hollywood nepotism at it again. <laughs> uh, Shailene Copley, I believe, is also in this movie. Uh, the guy from no, the South Ryan. African actor, yeah. Yeah, he's also in the movie. Uh, Amanda Siegfried is in this movie for no reason. <laughs> She's like kind of a like she's not quite a manic pixie dream girl, but she kind of has the same kind of role where she's like Harold, why do you do this to yourself? I she's just... like there's like two to three B plots that go nowhere in this movie too. <laughs> but you know it's inoffensive. It made me laugh a few times. It's fine. Sure, it's fine. Okay. You could do worse. I can't right. hate it. Just I, try I, it. Oh, well, I can't reserve judgment, John. And I don't. I don't know. It just looks like another. The way they're advertising it is just a loud, dumb, broad comedy. But I, I see, and that's the thing. Maybe because I came in with such low expectations, I can't help but be <laughs> charmed by it. But again, it's thoroughly average, and that's okay. why I, it, it just crosses that line for me. So mm-hmm. check okay, it out. Fine. Yeah. And see annihilation. <laughs> well, that seems that seems like something you maybe enjoy more was Annihilation, and maybe you want to talk about that. Now well, that I was kind of waiting for you to see it, and then we could kind of talk about it together. I think that would be a more fruitful discussion. Uh, it does. I know, but it doesn't look like the kind of movie. That, at what point does it look like the kind of movie that appeals to me? Oh, come on! You would enjoy it. It's very uh, 2001 esque. Let's call it that. I know, but there's only one 2000 A Space Odyssey. 2001 A Space. There's only one. 2000 yes. a space odyssey <laughs> i said i said it right I you think. minus you minus the negatives or yeah, you my, minus bad. One. my bad there's only one 2001 a space odyssey all right okay all these other all these other fake slim shadies are just imitating <laughs> what about the sequel 2010 i don't know i haven't seen it it came out in the 80s too i know much, i know i know what it is too Sorry. much derision <laughs> Not to much derision, I'm sure there are some fans for some sci-fi dorks, of which Hollywood, there are not that many of. <laughs> no wonder these, these movies like Ghost in the Shell and Annihilation keep failing. You keep overestimating how much these people are going to leave their apartments <laughs> and actually go to the movies. But then nerds complain, it's like, why doesn't mo- Hollywood make sci-fi movies anymore? Now Star Trek's an action franchise. Because <laughs> you won't get off up off your asses and out to the theater to actually see them. <laughs> It's true. They probably just pirated at home using their yeah. BitTorrent off the dark web. Yeah. Nerds. <laughs> I have a Linux computer. Fuck you. Yeah. Anyway, John, I thought I'd spotlight something I actually enjoyed. Okay. Well, um, I enjoyed drink Gringo. I just don't want to oversell it. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, I can't help but oversell this classic tale. Okay. On my flight from Boston to Los Angeles, I had a veritable... Pick. I had a veritable litter of Oscar <laughs> movies from which to choose from. A smorgasbord, if you will. Yes, a smorgasbord. Um, 
I could have seen the uh, Best Picture winner, Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. I could have seen the runner-up, presumably, uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yes. I could have seen Call Me By Your Name. I decided to see none of these movies. Okay. Instead, I decided to see another kind of Oscar contender, and that was for foreign language film. Oh, I thought you were going to see The Boss Baby. <laughs> <laughs> No, that that I saw a couple rows ahead. Um, some other kid was watching. I feel like I got the gist of it. Okay. <laughs> no. Instead, I watched Ruben Ostlin's latest, The Square. Ooh. Yeah. Fun. Yes. The Palm Door winner. So um, I'll, just, I'll just wait a little bit for applause. Oh, please. C- continue. <laughs> anyway, this is a, uh, a comedy of errors, a social satire, if you will. Mm-hmm. About the world uh, of art. Yes. Centered around an art curator named Christian. Mm-hmm. And that's very important because if there's one thing the movie's about, it's about um, how to be uh, trusting and caring in a society. Mm-hmm. Uh, it juxtaposes this very, you know, high class, um, incredibly opulent art gallery, um, which is repurposed out of an old royal castle with um, beggars on the streets of Stockholm. <laughs> And the main exposition they're advertising the square is uh, supposed to be a place of trust, you know, where you can always ask for help. Mm. You know, no matter what, you can kind of, like, be yourself. And um, it follows the travails of this guy. It's not, it's not really a complete story. It's not like there's one through line, but the, if, there's, if there's one crux of the plot, it's that um, he, uh, Kristen, this art curator, gets robbed. Um, he loses his phone, his wallet, and his uh, cufflinks his grandfather gave him. Who steals cufflinks? I've, these are talented pickpockets, John. Okay. Let me tell you. And the scenario they contrive is is the the uh, muggers. Well, not really muggers, but uh, pickpockets contrive is uh, where a woman desperately seeks help. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, again, like really, you it, you can't miss that theme. Anyway, that's kind of the through line throughout this. He's also opening this this huge expo- ex- exhibition for mm-hmm. this, uh, and he's also a divorced father, so he has to look after his kids and. You know, and there's a reporter who he uh, establishes a relationship with, mm-hmm. a coital relationship. <laughs> Ooh. And so all of this, all of this is kind of like tickly funny, funny. You know, you kind of smirk at instead of laugh out loud. Yeah, of course, because it's a European comedy. So it's ooh, how trite, how droll. Yes. Uh, speaking of droll, that one thing that could maybe turn audiences off is um, Oslin's direction, which is very uh, a static camera um, shot, kind of like in a wide, not really in a wide, but like kind of medium medium shots of these actors and the way conversations like each there's not a whole lot of cutting between mm-hmm. folks got it so I, that can turn some people off but i feel like what it sets out to do and and that's satirize you know these these well-to-do people and and how we kind of interact in society it does an a-plus job of that okay. so i can understand all the accolades that it's received and yes i think i think you will find a lot um a lot of good stuff to find is two and a half hour running time mm. But if anything, if you really want to see, I think the the real highlight of the movie, and that's what they're really advertising, is a twenty minute sequence. We're in art ex- uh, in another art exhibition. There's a uh, there's a dinner prepared for all these um, well to do benefactors, and a man playing a uh, a feral gorilla comes yeah. in. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's the one um, they keep advertising with the poster and the trailers. Yeah. Now I will admit it has nothing to do with the rest of the plot. It's not really set up <laughs> at all. It just kind of comes comes out in the third act. <laughs> yeah, but it's fun to see rich, well-to-do people feel awkward. You know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and it ramps up properly and a, an exceptional performance by John. Who do you call to imitate an ape when Andy Circus isn't available? <laughs> Uh, the guy who played Kobo, Kubo. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, he's not available either. <laughs> oh, shit, uh, I don't know. <laughs> the uh, the actor's name is uh, Terry Notary. Okay. He's an American, and he played Rocket in the uh, 
the new Planet of the Apes. Movies. Oh, okay, all right, good. I knew it was, I knew it was a Planet of the Apes actor. I just didn't know yeah. which one. <laughs> yeah, but in that one scene, well, I guess I guess it is set up because there's another video in in the gallery playing with him mm-hmm. in it. So that's the only that's the only setup you have really for this scene. Mm-hmm. But um, again, I think I think it's a little it's an exceptional comedy of errors. So okay. Again, I'm I'm a weirdo who loved it. So all I care about Maybe. is comparisons, Greg. Was it better or worse than Force Majeure? I'm gonna say better. That's it. Sounds like it because I didn't think you were on fire for Force Majeure. No, I mean because I feel like it. Maybe it's just the moments. Like Force Majeure has a better through line. That's all about one family and how they reconcile after this uh, huge event. This mm-hmm. um, this avalanche that happens in the weird circumstance there yeah um this has more peaks in terms of those comedy scenes like the the guy playing a gorilla in the fancy dinner okay the um the relationship that uh this art curator christian strikes up with a journalist but played by elizabeth moss okay there's uh, one scene post-coital that actually did make me laugh out loud but <laughs> where's the rest you know just brought a, brought a smile <laughs> to their face this one i had really had to i had to hold it in while i was on the airplane okay <laughs> yeah some of the circumstances I won't explain because this is a family show. So oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you about it later. But Elizabeth Moss has sex with a gorilla. Got it. <laughs> You're not far off. Apparently she has a pet chimpanzee. Oh, awkward. Yeah. Or Christian is high. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible that he's, that he's high because he's coming from a, a, a typical EDM party. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Man, the art world is crazy. Yes. But overall, a very good film. I think you should seek it out. Um, even even if you're off put by you know ugh I gotta read like a lot of it's in English too so <laughs> okay good <laughs> ugh, well, okay okay I'll, t- I'll 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 run that back a little bit not all of it <laughs> I'll say a third of it <laughs> okay fair enough <laughs> and it's Swedish it's nice on the ears <laughs> all right yeah. oh. no come on John we're in the home stretch here okay all right energy let's go social yes. media <laughs> <laughs> all right Facebook you can like our Facebook page. Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter. And hey, how are you listening to this right now? Why don't you drop us a note mm-hmm. at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yeah. Let us know how you're listening to it. Mm-hmm. And then also, why don't you recommend a movie? Or join the conversation. Everybody loves joining conversations, so just butt in right away. <laughs> exactly. The internet is for you. And for your opinions. That's why we have the show. Yes. So just come right in and say, you guys are all wrong about Hoop Dreams. This is a nice movie about basketball players. <laughs> And everything obviously worked out great for them. Come on. Yeah, I know. Why do you have to bring race into it? Yeah. <laughs> How come it's not White Panther? That's I'm sure you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. Where's Me- International Men's Day? Huh? <laughs> and so, if you enjoy this conversation, why don't you go to your podcast service of choice, whether it be mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever, and maybe click that subscribe button and maybe give us a review. Yeah, click that write a review button. Mm-hmm. That I'm sure is there, or you know, it's just a field you, know, you can fill in. Yep. <laughs> How, however, however it is. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. Yeah. Go ahead and give it five stars. These are all star ratings that I do know. Exactly. So go ahead and give us five stars, because um, I think John and I, I think we deserve it. And <laughs> we we kind of do. Yep. We work so hard. Yep. And then more people can find the show and enjoy it with you. Exactly. Help others find it. In fact, share it with your friends. Hmm. Greg, what are we yeah. watching next week? Well, I have a smile on my face. (laughs) Well, in the spirit of the mid-90s basketball movies, we're talking about Space Jam. No. (laughs) Possibly the greatest basketball-themed movie of all time. Yes. We are are revisiting 
Greg's favorite filmmaker, Wes Anderson. Because in anticipation of his new stop-motion animated film, Isle of Dogs, we'll be revisiting Fantastic Mr. Fox. Or, as the French call it, Monsieur Fox Fantastique. (laughs) Now, Greg, I know you're not the biggest fan of the dollhouse aesthetic, but let's see how well you'll take it. How many filmmakers have we discussed twice? There's Martin Scorsese, Mm -hmm. George Roy Hill. Yep. Uh, John Hudson. Who? John Hudson, the guy who did uh, African Queen? John Huston. John Huston, that's the one. Okay, yeah. yeah. We've done him twice, uh, completely uh, by accident. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we, we try to separate it by, you know, mm-hmm. direct, get new directors, different decades, all that but stuff. Greg, but, Greg, the point I'm trying to make is... But no, we keep let, refer- to returning this well, this poisoned, poisoned... Hold on, uh, hold on, hold on. Well. Greg, I want, let's... All right, look, I know you're not a big fan of his dollhouse aesthetic, but let's see mm-hmm. how well you'll be able to take it when he's using actual dolls. Hmm? <laughs> this is true. Maybe it'll make it more could... palatable. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe this will make it go down smoother. <laughs> exactly. So tune in for a contentious <laughs> argument next week. <laughs> yeah. Or revisit our old episode on the Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> it'll be pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or who knows? Maybe we'll defy expectations, John. Maybe you'll hate it. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've already seen it, so. Okay. Yeah. I, I haven't for obvious reasons, but you know what? I, again, this isn't about me. It's contrary to what I said earlier. <laughs> See, we've come we've come full circle. My A to B journey is from <laughs> someone who selfishly only looked inward to now looking outward to the listeners. Oh, we've, I feel like we've made a lot of progress today, Greg. Indeed we have. Yep. Well, we're going to have to see how much progress we made next week. <laughs> <laughs> until then, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next week, keep a spiral. Everybody get up, it's time to slam.